are in uh, actually week four of a sermon series that we started a number of weeks ago called Word, Beginning with the Bible. That's our series that we're going through. And it is so exciting to learn to love the Word of God. And what we like to say here is we want you to learn, love, and live out the Word of God. It doesn't get any more uh, important and comprehensive than that, I think. So um, another week to talk about the incredible Word of God. You know, for a lot of Christians, going to the Word is kind of the, uh, oh, in case of emergency, pull your Bible off the shelf kind of deal. Uh, we need to read it every day. We really should read it every day. You know, there's something incredible about when life is good, going to the Word and having the opportunity, and you, you can really do this through the Psalms, and I try to do this quite a bit, to just praise God for his goodness, for his greatness, for his blessing in your life. Just thank him. And often worship, worship songs do this as well. Often those words are so amazing and help us express our gratitude to God for how incredibly good he is. There is nothing that I think really gives you the kind of perspective on life that you and I should have than to just be grateful people. Amen? Not entitled people, grateful people, because everything we receive is a gift from him. But there are times to go to the word when life is really, really incredibly difficult and hard. He is our refuge and strength, isn't he? He is our very present help in times of trouble. And so the beauty about God's word is it touches us wherever we are in our lives, whether it's awesome praising him for so many ways he's pouring out his blessing in our lives, or for those times that we are just hurting, we are confused, we are discouraged, we are depressed. He also wants to go to the, uh, us to go to the word during those times that we are fearful and really anxious. Been there? Been there in 2020? Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) All of us, to some degree. You know, the uncertainty of life. Those of us that like to be in control. Those of us that like to plan and work the plan. And don't mess with my plan. There's something about remembering that our God is sovereign. He is the sovereign. And basically what that word means is, He is over all, he is in charge of all, he has authority over all, and he knows all. I love that truth. That's a truth that I go to so often. That's all throughout scripture. You can go all the way from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation and see God has a plan, God works his plan, and nobody can thwart his plan. Amen? Nobody can. And there's such incredible comfort and assurance in knowing that. We learn this in the word of God, my friends. <laughs> That's where we need to live. That's where our minds need to dwell, is in the word of God. And it's so much our hearts, condo me, our elders, for you to learn to love and live out the word of God. So that's why we're doing this special series in the month of May called Word, beginning with the Bible. And what we've done is we've picked out certain portions of scripture, certain passages that, that kind of illumine and enlighten our minds to the incredible power of God's word, the nature of the word of God. There's nothing like it. Nothing has ever been written that even begins to compare to scripture. 
So our passage this morning is in Hebrews chapter 4. So if your Bible, if you have your iPad, if you have your phone, if you have your laptop, whatever device you might use, why don't you turn there if you'd like to do that. We'll be having the verses up on the board, uh, up on the screen as well. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 4, and our passage this morning, which is an incredible passage, is found in verses 12 through 16, okay? So I'm going to just jump right in as we start in verse 12, Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Wow. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Powerful passage, right? Powerful passage. These are such powerful words. They describe the nature and the effects of the word of God. Now, I love the fact that it talks about sword. Some of you who grew up in church who are maybe a little older, like me, uh, may know the term sword drills. Any of you know that term? Sword drills. Yes, some of you. Sword drills. Okay, that was taken from the idea that the word of God is a sword, whether it was Awanas or, or VBS or whatever it might be. The sword drill is, it kind of went like this. I didn't grow up in a, a church that did this, so, but I, I've, I've heard about it. Is like, okay, take your Bible, and it obviously you have to root everything in competition, right? I mean, that's just what gets people really motivated. So this is what's good. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Luke. Boom, raise your hand. Turn to the book of Genesis. Boom, 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 boom. Right there, everybody raises their hands. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. Dead silence. Habakkuk, ha, what? My backache? Is that what you said? No, 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 no. I said Habakkuk. Oh, okay, that's a book of the Bible. Did you know that? He's one of the minor prophets. So that's when you say, that's why people started getting those tabs. That's such cheating. You ever notice people put, oh, I probably offended some of you. I'm really sorry. Didn't mean to do that. I just kind of slipped out. But yeah, I mean, I love that idea of how to learn your Bible you know, with, quote, sword drills. Just kind of, a, kind of a neat thought. There's another verse that talks about the word of God as a sword. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it'll be up on the screen. Um, some of you know that portion of Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God. It's a passage that talks about the fact that our, our, our battle is not flesh and blood, but it's in the heavenlies, it's spiritual, And so there is something called the full armor of God. It's our spiritual armor. And Paul, through this passage, goes through all the pieces of our armor. And then this is what he says in verse 17 of Ephesians 6. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if you look with me at verse 12, this is interesting. I want to just give you a list of six characteristics of the word of God as a sword, okay? These are, these are like powerful. It is alive. 
Some versions say living. It is alive. It is active. It is sharp. It is penetrating. It is dividing and it is judging. (sighs) Wow. The word of God. I I love the fact that he begins by saying it's alive or living. Do you know that this book, if you look at the last book of the Bible written, it's a book of Revelation written at about 90 AD. That's the last book that was written of the Bible. This is not an archaic history book. This is alive. This book is alive. What's so incredible about this book is that it is totally and completely active and relevant in our lives today. And it's not just because it's got good biblical principles. I hear people say that, and I I think I know what they mean. No, it's because the Holy Spirit who is in our lives opens our eyes, illumines our eyes to what God wants to say to us very specifically. He does. And that's why, and I really mean this, the Bible is not like reading a novel that you read it on vacation and put it back on your bookshelf. Uh Uh-uh. That is not what you do with your Bible. There's a reason why many, many, many people spend 30, 40, 50, 60 years studying their Bible. It's because it's alive. Let me tell you something that has happened to me so often, and I'll bet it's happened to many of us. I can read, because I've been a fairly serious student of the, of the Bible for about 45 years, and I can remember you know, studying the book of Philippians. I can remember studying you know, much of the Psalms. I can remember studying you know, the Gospel of John, whatever it might be, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And I study it now, and guess what happens? Boom! <laughs> I see something, quote, new. I've never seen that before. Any of you ever said that about the word of God? I've never seen that before. Guess what? Nobody changed the Bible. Here's what I want you to get. This is so critical. It's not like, oh, this is another edited version where you've never read this before. It's because the word of God is alive. That is so incredible about the word of God. I'm at a different place in my walk with Jesus. So often the reason why I see something I didn't see 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago is because I'm in a different place in my journey with him. And there's a sense in my life that sometimes as I draw closer to Jesus, if I, and I pray that I am becoming more like Jesus, I am ready to see deeper truths in his word. Or he meets me, here's the incredible thing that he does. He meets me with that verse where I am today. It is so incredible how this happens. But you know what? Doesn't work if you don't read it. Doesn't work like that if you don't read it. We have to read it. It is alive. And that's why, and I really do mean this when I say this. I'm not just saying this. This book is more exciting to me than it has ever been. It really is. And I have studied it for over four decades because hopefully I'm in a place in my journey where my heart's more open to Jesus than it's ever been. My heart's, I hope, more open to the word of God than it's ever been. And that's part of our journey, right? That's how we're supposed to walk with him. It's active. It's sharp. Ooh. You ever open your Bible and read something you're just deeply convicted in your heart? And you say, well, done for today. (laughs) Maybe not. 
where are the nice parts of the Bible? Let's just read the nice parts, you know. There are parts of the Bible that aren't nice. I'm going to say it that way. You read some of the Old Testament, it's gory. It's bloody. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense in a lot of ways, kind of how we line up our very uh, systematized, you know, system of ethics or whatever it might be. We see all of these things that happen in the word of God and it's hard and sometimes it's really hard to understand. And it's sharp. Sometimes it confronts us, right? Often. Pray for a sensitive heart. That's a great thing to have. Lord, as I read your word, there may be things in my attitude, things with the way I'm treating my family members, my attitude toward my job, whatever it might mean, that, that maybe you want to confront. Secret sin in my life that nobody knows about. And often God will say, busted. <laughs> That's what he does to me. Busted. It's like, okay, I got one of two choices. Either I repent and deal, or I harden and ignore it. I have found it doesn't work when you harden your heart to God's word. You know why? God's relentless. He's relentless. He will bring it back and bring it back and bring it back till you deal. Why? Because you're his child and he loves you. That's what people who love you do. They don't let, let you continue and wallow in your sin and destruction. And God will not let us do that. It's sharp. Did you see it goes on to say it's penetrating, it's dividing, it's judging. You know, I must admit as I read this, yeah, the image is that of a sword. I got to tell you where my mind went. My mind went to a scalpel. I think, that, I think that's also a really good metaphor for the word of God. Uh, God is the great surgeon, isn't he? He is the great surgeon. What is the role of surgery if it's done well? You get cut so that you can heal and be healthy. That's the goal of surgery. Doesn't that sound like what the word of God does? We get cut so that we can then heal and become healthy. That is so much the goal of God's word in our lives and and one of the main purposes of God's word. He's a great surgeon. You ever thought of him that way? He is. The most skilled surgeon ever, you know. I I was thinking about surgery, you know, what it's like when, you know, you've kind of tried everything with whatever part of your body is not healthy or right. And to hear those words, you need surgery. You need surgery. No more medication, no more therapy, no more change your diet, no more, no more, no more. You now need surgery. Many of us have heard that and some have heard it multiple times. It's never fun to hear you need surgery. But if you notice that it's not the surgery, that's the worst part especially if you get to go under general anesthesia, you know, they knock you out. It's after the surgery. It's the rehab. It's the grueling, brutal at times part of getting healthy again. And so the thing about the word of God, again, is I'm using this metaphor as, as a, of a scalpel in what God's word certainly does to me and probably to you as well, 
is that um, there are times, whether it's in a church service, in your own personal study, your own personal prayer time with the Lord, at a conference, whatever it might mean, that God brings his convicting power in a big way into your life and you're ready to deal and you confess it. You may even weep with tears of repentance because you are ready to get right with God. And in some ways, those moments can be very freeing, almost almost cathartic-like. But then the hard part starts. Then the hard part starts, right? Then I have to live in what I am asking God to give me as a new normal. And I haven't lived this way before. I haven't lived this way for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. But now I'm going to walk with Jesus. And now I'm going to say no to that temptation or no to that coping mechanism in my life that I have used for so long. I am really going to walk in integrity and godliness. And it's hard. (laughs) It can be really, really hard. Again, kind of like surgery, going through that, that rehab, going through that grueling, difficult time. But you know, to say no, when the word of God is doing its cutting effect to bring healing and health in your life, to say no, to say no, to say no, typically things get worse. Is that your experience? That's my experience. I think God is so relentless, and I mean that in a good way. He doesn't leave you alone when you're his child. He says, you're not going to deal with it today? Okay, we'll talk in a week. I'll be back in a month. And you know, the guilt you felt and some of the, the uh, consequences of your sinful choices, they won't get better, my friend. I guarantee you that they snowball and get worse more often than not. It's time to deal. That's often what he says to us. It's time to deal. And when the piercing word of God is energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's time to deal. And maybe that's where you are today. And I don't say that in an unkind way because we're going to see what kind of incredible high priest we have in a moment. But that's the word of God. Don't harden yourself to it. Don't harden your heart. Don't say no. Don't live in denial. When God says it's really time to deal, then you and I need to. We really do. Pain has a purpose. From God's perspective, our pain always has a purpose. I think that's such an important principle for me. Um, Sometimes aspects of my pain are consequences of my poor choice or my sin. But when God, through his word especially, cuts probes, penetrates my heart. His purpose is always for my good. His purpose is always for our spiritual health and growth and godliness, always. And I think, my friends, when we believe that and realize that and approach the word saying, you know, Lord, maybe today is not the day where you just encourage me. Maybe today is the day that you convict me. Maybe as I open my Bible today, there's some words that are really kind of penetrating deeply in my heart. Lord, I want to be so receptive, so responsive, and so obedient to what you're saying. Don't ignore your Bible, please. 
Don't read it like you read a novel and then stick it on the shelf. No, it's living, it's active. And sometimes it says things that are incredibly uplifting and encouraging, and sometimes it brings a scalpel. We need them both, right? We need them both. Verse 13. Wow, you talk about another challenging verse. Verse 13 says this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But I thought he was gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Is that scary? Kind of, a little bit. That's scary to me. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before his eyes to him for whom we must give account of our lives. You know, I'm sure there must be people who read this and say, but I thought we'd just get to go to heaven. You know, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I've confessed my sin. I said, Jesus saved me. He did. I get to go to heaven. Aren't we good? Aren't I fine now? And then you read a verse like this. It's like, oh, how I live my life after I've given my life to Christ matters a great deal to God. Not that I'm earning anything as much as being faithful and obedient to him. That's what I'm called to be. I refer to this as God's scrutiny. Kind of my first main point is God's scrutiny. There is a scrutiny aspect to God. can't hide from him. Everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare. We must give an account. Wow. Some of you might be saying, uh, Jeff, I didn't come to church to hear this bad news, okay? You know, can you say something nice or encouraging for a moment? I'll get there. I'm going to get there. I will. This is serious stuff. God wants his kids to walk in holiness. God wants his children to walk in obedience to him. He does. And because he loves us so profoundly, God wants us to listen and respond to his word with repentance at times and always with obedience. He does. Maybe you're in a season of surgery and and it may be incredibly hard. Maybe God is just doing a deep penetrating work in your heart right now and in your life because there's some things that he's saying, I really, really want to bless you, but that won't happen until you confess it. That won't happen until you change. And maybe today's the day to do that. I'm going to keep going. Uh, Verse 14. Here's the good news. Here's the awesome news. Verse 14. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This is unbelievable to me. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, 
yet he did not sin. (laughs) The role of the high priest, especially as you study your Old Testament, the role of the high priest was to be the mediator. I mean, in essence, that was his role, his job, to be the mediator. This was actually the, the job of all the priests, but the high priest, I'll tell you in a moment what kind of one of his special jobs was. But to, to go to God before Jehovah God on behalf of the people and to go from God to the people. That was the job of the high priest. And, and of priests. And that's why sacrifices were presented in the temple to the Lord. The high priest had a special job. So on the day of atonement was kind of like the highlight day in the year for, uh, for the nation of Israel. He would go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was where the, quote, Shekinah glory, the manifested presence in some way of God. And he would go into the very Holy of Holies. Only the high priest one day a year could do this to prevent, to present a sacrifice on behalf of the entire nation for, the, for forgiveness of sin. That's what he did. Did you see that Jesus is referred to here as the great High priest. And isn't all of that just such a foreshadowing of what the Israelites did of him when he would die on the cross for our sins, the day of atonement, the ultimate day of atonement, when Jesus died on the cross so that you and I might be forgiven. But I think what's so beautiful about these verses 14 and 15 is it talks about Jesus. It talks about our great high priest in some unbelievable ways, just so amazing. It says he ascended into heaven. That's a reference to the fact that Jesus, you know, paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, was buried on the third day, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended in heaven. And the Bible says that he is currently seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, having all authority over the entire universe. It then goes on to say he was tempted in every way as we are, without sinning. Jesus really was a man. (laughs) He was perfect. He was the God-man. But he was tempted in every way that we are. Think about that phrase for a moment. Every way that we were. Felt it. Felt the incredible sting and power of temptation, of trials, of pain, everything that we go through. That was our Lord I think it's so interesting that um, the writer of Hebrews uses the word, he can empathize with us. You know, when you or a loved one like a spouse or a child or a parent is going through an incredibly difficult time, whether it's a really bad health diagnosis or the death of a loved one, maybe even of a child, One of the things people tend to say, and I believe it's probably almost always well-meaning, but one of the things people will often say to somebody going through a tragic crisis is, I know how you feel. And yet you know they have never been through what you've been through. Isn't that hard to hear 
in some ways. And they may be just very sincere and they want to be empathetic. But there's something about somebody saying to you, I know, and sometimes they use the word exactly. I know exactly how you feel. Can you imagine hearing that and, and maybe not, uh, and maybe feeling a little defensive or a little hurt? Because they don't. I try never to say that. Because I, sometimes I don't even know how I feel about stuff, you know? For me to say, I know exactly how you feel. Are you kidding me? You know, here's my point. Jesus can say that. That's so incredible. I know exactly how you feel. That is mind-blowing to me. The one who is God, the son, who left the glories of heaven, who became a tiny little baby, entered humanity, grew up, experienced all of these things, all of these trials and temptations and pain and betrayal and all of the things that he went through. He can say to us, I do know how you feel. Isn't there something profoundly comforting to that? Isn't there? That's our savior. He's our savior. He's our great high priest, is what we're told. He knows exactly how we feel. You know, some people, when you talk about Jesus, oh, it's Jesus. You know, it's kind of like Jesus was the spiritual Superman. You know, nothing could penetrate Jesus. Nothing could hurt Jesus. Nothing, yeah. Look over in Hebrews. It'll be on the screen. Look over in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. You think Jesus felt pain? You think Jesus suffered? Most believe, most scholars, I would agree with them, believe that this is a reference back to the Garden of Gethsemane. So think with me about what our Lord went through at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed, the night before he would be crucified. He went to that garden and he just cried out to the Father if there be any way to fulfill your purpose for me besides the agony of the cross. Lord, can that be so? And I don't know that we get the full effect. I mean, read all, read all of the different gospel accounts. Sweat like drops of blood. He kept going back. <laughs> he kept going back to his own disciples. Hey, would you guys pray with me? Oh, you're asleep again, you're asleep again, you're asleep again. I mean, you talk about agony, lonely. That was our savior. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weaknesses. He can say, I know how you feel. That's our savior. (laughs) He's a marvel. He's incredible. And so I refer to this part as Christ's sympathy. The father's scrutiny, scrutiny, but Christ's sympathy. This is so beautiful. This is so amazing. He's the surgeon that holds the scalpel of the word of God. So then we go on to verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I'm so glad verses 14 and 15 are in there because if I jumped from 12 and 13, (laughs) the word of God penetrates, it's a sword. The word of God, uh, you know, my life is laid bare. There are no secrets from him. I'll give an account of my life. Um, I'm so glad that it goes on to tell us what kind of mediator he is, what kind of high priest he is on our behalf. Therefore, we can approach the throne of Grace. It's the throne of the king, okay? But it's the throne of grace. And then he adds this phrase, with confidence. I don't know if you like uh, medieval movies. I've always been kind of a fan of the Three Musketeer movies. You know, it's because I like sword fighting. I even took uh, lessons. Um, a number of years ago. But anyway, uh, think of these old movies and think about how there were people who would have to come into the king's court and approach the king's throne. Can you, can you envision that image? I can in some of these movies. You know, maybe, maybe they're expecting judgment. Maybe they're expecting death, you know, and they're trembling and they're cowering and, you know, they're just so fearful the ultimate throne in the universe. The father, the son, seated. And we approach that throne with confidence because it's the throne of grace, not judgment, throne of grace. Do you see this? Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. That's so incredible. That's who he is. So I call this our security. This is our security that we are permitted to approach the throne of grace with all of our sinfulness and all of our frailty. So I want you to remember that. Let's remember that. We can't hide from God's word, okay? We need to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and our lives. We need to confess our sin before him. He already knows. But we can draw 
near to the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy. I think one of the challenges that a lot of us feel like we have is, you know, we just don't like to hear hard truth. (laughs) We don't like to hear hard truth. Maybe that starts when we're little kids. I don't know. But when somebody speaks hard truth, and by hard truth, I mean it's confrontational. It's telling us we're sinning. It's telling us we're wrong. We can often get very defensive and put up those defense walls. We can do that with God. We can justify our sin, and we can hide from it, and we can try to ignore it. And even like Adam and Eve in the garden, we can try to hide from God himself. But like I said before, God is relentless. The spirit of God will pursue you if you're a child of God because he wants you to heal and be spiritually healthy. That's his heart. That's his heart. Don't we see this in this this passage? Approach the throne of grace with confidence. So my question, my friends, and this is just so much a part of our series, is are we reading the word of God? Not just the nice parts, not just the encouraging parts, all of it, all of it. Are we asking the Lord when we open our Bibles, Holy Spirit, speak to me? I want to know what the passage means, but I want to know how you are calling me to live it out. I want to know if there are areas in my life that you really want me to change. Father, I want you, if you're going to surface sin in my life, it is time for me to deal today. Today. I have this, I have this great vision, not, not just me, our, our staff, our elders, that we would be people of the word so that even more we would love the God of the word. <laughs> This is not an end in itself, knowing the Bible. It is an incredible means to the end of knowing Jesus. Amen? That's why we read this book, so we would know him. Kanda's message last week, (laughs) everything points to him. Everything points to him. So if you want to know and love Jesus more, you be a person of the word, okay? So I, I wanted to just summarize real quickly in a sentence. We have a great sympathetic surgeon. <laughs> he is. He's got the best bedside manner there is, okay? We have a great sympathetic surgeon who helps and heals us. That's always his heart. That's always his goal. I'm going to have you pray with me, just bow our heads, maybe take a a few quiet moments before I pray. There's there's an old hymn, it kind of goes like this, I'm not going to sing, I'll just tell you the words, search me, O God, and know my heart today, try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray, see if there be any wicked way in me, cleanse me from every sin. And set me free. 
That's, that's a song I'm thinking about. Search me, know me. Reveal to me areas in my life that you want changed. Thank him for being our compassionate high priest. Thank him for being the one who in every way can empathize with great compassion, with our weaknesses, with our temptations, with our struggles. And then make sure that you approach his throne of grace with confidence, not arrogance ever, but because we are his beloved children, we can approach with confidence. Father, we are so humbled by that because we are so unworthy. So may our lives prove to be an an offering back to you of our immense gratitude that you are the kind of God that you are. We love you. And we so desperately want our lives to honor you. Help us to learn and love your word. And then give us the grace to live it out. For your glory we pray. Amen.